Paging Dr. Randy. Paging Dr. Randy. I just got on call and they're paging me already. They want me to do work as soon as I get to work. Come on, let's go. Yes, you, come on. Well, I'm Dr. Randy, nice to meet you. I'm a licensed family medicine physician. Since you're on call with me today, I want to make sure you learn as much as possible. Me and a few of my special friends are here to give you all the tips and info you need to live a balanced, healthy life. Are you ready to be on call with me? I hope so. So let's get it going. Our shift starts right now. Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy, your source of health information every Wednesday, sponsored by Heinz Entertainment Group. I hope you all enjoyed the two most recent episodes on weight loss with Dr. Shelley. If you haven't checked them out, go back and listen. You will hear some great information on how to shed that extra weight. This week, I have on my friend, Dr. Sierra Allen. Dr. Allen is a former graduate of Spelman University in Atlanta, Georgia, and attended Boston University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts. She is a family medicine physician in the suburbs of Atlanta and was recently named one of the 22 top doctors by Castle Connolly. She is a recent mother for the second time and along with her husband, Roselle, a lover of the fine black arts. I have recently went to look at art with her and if the price doesn't have a comma in it, she isn't looking at it. That's the type of upscale art that Dr. Allen likes to look at. Dr. Allen and myself will have a great discussion on medicine, including how to find a doctor, what to expect when going to the doctor for the first time, and what questions you need to ask your doctor. So let's go on call with Spelmanite Dr. Sierra Allen. Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. Today, we have Spelman's own Dr. Sierra Allen on the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Allen. Welcome. Happy to be here. Yes, yes. We are representing our HBCUs today. I have on my Prayer View shirt, Rock the Purple and Gold. She has on her Spelman shirt. Spelman you see, number one, one HBCU. Mm-hmm. I seen that came out recently. Yeah, I was on one of those yeah. top ten lists right there. Man, got stay years shining in a row. over there, Spelman. Always. Mm-hmm. Always, always. All right, we're trying to get to y'all level. We're trying to get to y'all level and get on one of these lists. So <laughs> I have Dr. Allen on today. We're just going to have a general discussion on medicine going to talk about what you should ask your doctor when you go there for the first time, how to find a doctor, and other important questions that you should ask your physician during a visit. So Dr. Allen is a family medicine physician. So before we get really rolling, what made you want to become a physician? So I can become a physician because where I grew up, you know, an underserved community, you know, I would live in a single parent home and my mom used to go to FQHC, which is a federal health, federal health funded medical clinic, essentially. And we received free care. And so that's how I had my doctor, Dr. Mary Bailiff. I still remember her name and I won't say how old I am, but it's been many years. <laughs> and she was my doctor for everything. And when I came up, I had really bad asthma. But she always was there to treat us. She always was there to care for us. That was one thing my mom didn't have to worry about. So honestly, just leading to her example, I wanted to provide care to those types of communities. And that's what really led me down to becoming a doctor. Was this a doctor like a person of color? No, actually, she was a Caucasian woman. 
And that okay. also led to, you know, she she was the doctor for our whole community and she didn't look like us. She was an excellent physician, but I never saw physicians who looked like me growing up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And so as you proceeded during your medical training, did you see more physicians that looked like you or it was still kind of very light on the melanin as you went up? It, it, I, so I went to Boston University, so it, it was a little bit light on the med- melanin, definitely, <laughs> um, in medical school. However, Spellman uh, partners with several other HBCUs in Boston University School of Medicine, and they have a program called EMSSP. Um, it's an early medical school selection program, and they recruit doctors from different HBCUs um, in order to increase the um, underrepresented minority physicians that go through Boston University School of Medicine. So while the medical school in its entirety, not many people look like me, we had a cohort of students who came through that program. So thankfully, I was in a situation where I came in, I think each year the class is about 15 students. So I came in with the support group and several students who are on our same level coming through the program. Okay, that's what's up. So as we proceed along, a lot of my listeners may or may not have a physician already, or they may have a family member that needs to find a physician. So what's the best way that people should go about trying to find a physician, in particular, a primary care physician? Absolutely. The best way by far is word of mouth. The people who know you the best will tell you the best physicians who you will more than likely vibe with. Um, a computer can't tell you that. No algorithm can tell you those things. So I think word of mouth is one of the best ways to find a primary care physician. Uh, secondly is the Internet. Thankfully, on the Internet, they have multiple different websites that will give you um, reviews of any primary care physician. Um, and certain websites, you can type in your insurance information, and then they'll tell you all the physicians within your network. So things like ZogDoc, um, uh, Primary Health Review, those type of websites will go through the different primary care doctors in your area, and they'll even allow you to schedule some appointments. The third way that I find that patients can find a good primary care doctor uh, are through their insurance actual websites or even insurance companies have apps now and you can literally type in an area code and they'll give you a list of doctors in that area that you can see that will be covered under your insurance. So I think those are the top three ways in which you can find a primary care doctor. Um, and then like I said, get a lot of those places will give you reviews of the primary care doctor. You can see what other patients have said about those doctors. So I think that's the best. Those are the best initial ways to find a primary care physician. Yeah. And I know with our own health system on our website, we have our reviews that patients leave and give us certain scores. Um, I ask you all to take time to actually read these reviews as well. They may talk about the clinic aspect in these reviews. So it's more than just talking about the physician in these reviews. They may say, oh, I like the physician, but the I didn't like this part of the staff or the wait line was long when I got to get my lab results. So these reviews are usually real inclusive in what they offer information-wise. Absolutely. And I always tell people, don't just look at the grade of the physician because a lot of those websites will give you a, a like a four out of five stars or give you a 90% review rate um, or 90% like almost like a grade, like ABCD, like 90, greater than 90 is an A, things of that nature. 
And a lot of times, if you read through the reviews, maybe it's 10 reviews, but one is a scathing review. And that brought the person's grade, the person's grade down, but it's nine other, you know, excellent reviews. So definitely take the time to literally read through those reviews. And as you said, you know, it might just, they might just be talking about the office, but love the physician. So definitely take that time. I think it's worth it when you're trying to look for a quality physician. So let's just say someone doesn't have a physician. They look online. They find somebody they like. They went to Google and they found a lovely picture of Dr. Sierra Allen. It's like, oh, I thought Dr. Allen. She has a nice smile. She went to HBCU. I feel like we would connect. They come to see you for a first time visit, an established care visit. So what usually will happen when they see you for a first time visit? So a multitude of things will happen. Usually I let the patient kind of lead the conversation, but I do think there are some questions that the patient should ask of any primary care physician uh, when you first come into their office. And so immediately when you come in, obviously I will introduce myself. But one thing I think patients should ask is kind of who I am as a physician and what is my philosophy on medicine? Because I find that if you establish that early, that when you want certain requests, you need to make sure that physician can handle those requests. So, for instance, sometimes patients will come in and say, you know, I found this jumbo oil online that's supposed to cure my arthritis. You know, do you work with natural medicine? And I, some things I know, right? Other things, I'm, that is not what I'm trained in. And so if we establish that from the beginning, if you're a patient like, I'm not taking any met, quote-unquote medication, all I want to do is drink jumbo oil, <laughs> then I may not be the doctor for you. Um, so establishing that in the beginning, and for my patients, I'm very clear from the beginning that this is a team. I'm not a doctor that will dictate to you exactly what you need to do with no consideration of your lifestyle and you are not passive in this process like you are active participant in your health care and so I always give my patients the analogy that I'm the coach but you're essentially the player on the field and no matter what I say it depends on what you do for us to win the game and so you are just as much active as I am and so that is my philosophy on medicine um, I think our patients should be active participants in that some doctors do not feel that way which is perfectly fine and that's why you should ask that question initially of your like from the beginning as soon as you walk in like is this a physician for me and it's okay <laughs> if I am not the physician for you or any other doctor is not the physician for you we are not married. <laughs> this is not this is not a relationship that you have to be in forever. Patients have the right to find another physician if they so choose. If that physician does not work for you, that is absolutely your right. And asking that question from the beginning will give you a good idea of if that's something that you should do. I totally agree. One of the things that we've kind of always been taught is shared decision making. And I agree with you about having that relationship. So when we talk about shared decision making, it's basically us as physicians laying things out and telling you our reasoning for certain things and maybe giving you different options and kind of empowering you to make a decision and not feel like that we force certain things on you. If you have a good primary care physician, this is something that they should do for you like on a regular basis is kind of 
give you information um, for you to make a healthy decision on what you want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, too, as far as nobody knows your lifestyle better than you. That's why your decision is so important. I can tell you to go to the gym, work out two hours a day. I wouldn't tell anybody that. But go to the gym, work two hours, work out two hours a day, only eat a vegan diet and organic food. But, you know, given some implications of our society, maybe you can't afford a gym membership right now. Maybe you can, but there's a park across the street. You know, you you have time to go to the park, um, but you don't want to take time away from your kids. Okay, so let's talk about you going to the park and playing with your kids for an hour and how to increase the cardio in that activity. And maybe it's not a vegan diet or, you know, buying more organic foods. Maybe, oh, do you have a farmer's market in your area that you can potentially go to? Or, you know, if there's only a Kroger around you, can I have you eat frozen food, some frozen vegetables that will last a little bit longer, you know, aren't covered in sodium, things like that. But you know your life better than me. You know, I don't, we don't go home together. So that's why I think it's important for them to understand this is shared decision making. We have to, I can't dictate to you what to do in your life. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So a lot of patients come to see us specifically after going to the urgent care or going to the emergency room. They never had a doctor before. And those specialists at the ER urgent care tell them you need to get you a PCP. You need to get your primary care physician. How do you define the role of a primary care physician? Absolutely. So a primary care physician is essentially somebody to coordinate all your health care, okay? And so your primary care physician should literally be the point person in your health care. So all the specialists, the ER, the urgent care, all those things should kind of be coming through the primary care physician. Essentially, if you think about it, like the brain controls your body, all the parts. Now, I'm not saying some parts aren't crucial, but without the brain, you're essentially dead, right? And so the primary care physician is the brain. And you need the brain to regulate and control all parts. So I often tell my patients, because they'll come in and say, well, I need this referral, this referral, this referral, this referral. You know, on the first time I meet them and I'm saying, okay, well, why are you going to this person for blood pressure? And then you want this person for, you know, knee pain. And I can handle all those things. So I kind of, I come through and say, you know, you don't need all of this. These are the things that I can do. And that's why it's important to talk to your primary care doctor. What what things can they actually do in the office? Because as family medicine, as you know, a lot of people don't know, we can do GYN procedures and um, different lab tests. So many of my patients come through and don't even know I can do pap smears. So I'm like, why are you going to, uh, you going to an OBGYN and nothing against OBGYNs, but they have no previous history of needing uh, gynecological procedures. And this is just a routine pap smear. So they're spending money to go to different doctors or not even just money, time, which is more valuable to go to different mm-hmm. physicians. And I can do those things in office. I can I can put in birth control. I, I can see you, your baby, your grandma, <laughs> your, everybody can all come to the same office. And so a lot of our patients don't know that. And that's why it's important to have that conversation from the beginning and see all the things that your primary care doctor can do um, that are relevant to your health. So I think having that conversation is important. And also, speaking on the patients who come from the ERs, urgent cares, things like that, I think having a very clearly defined role in what constitutes an emergency. 
um, when to come into our offices. You know, I essentially tell my patients, if you aren't, if you don't feel like you are actively dying, <laughs> more nine times out of 10, you can come into our office um, and talk, to, especially if you have a primary care physician, because a lot of times you went to the ER and this is somebody who's never met you, doesn't know anything about you, you know, and so they add medications. And if you don't come back to your primary care, now you have this lapse in care where something's been added or something's been done that you either didn't necessarily need or I don't know about. And so a lot of patients don't know that not only if that happens, you need to come back and see us in order to communicate anything that's changed within your medical diagnoses of your treatment, but also to see, you know, what is the follow-up from that? Because ERs are there to treat you and get you out the door. So if you have chest pain and it's not a heart attack, then they say, okay, you're not dying. Go back to your primary care doctor. Mm -hmm. We still have to work up while you're having that chest pain, just as an example. So things of that nature. So if you feel like you are actively dying, absolutely go to ER. Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely go to emergency room. There's nothing wrong with that. If it's after hours and you think... Um, you need to see a physician, absolutely go to urgent care. There's no problem with that. But if it's something that, you know, has been going on for a really long time, you don't necessarily feel like you are actively dying, then see, call your primary care office and see, can you get an appointment the next day or within 48 hours, things of like that. Because one, you'll save money and a lot of times you'll save time and you'll talk to a physician who already knows you. Mm-hmm. How often do you have people still come to see you when they're having those emergency situations? Uh, Dr. Allen, I feel so comfortable coming to see you. We have good rapport, but I've been having mm -hmm. chest pain for three days. It, it hurts when I walk up the stairs. Like, what do you usually do in those situations? Send them to the ER. <laughs> I have that happen. I want you to trust me as your primary care physician. Don't get me wrong. But I need you to, <laughs> I don't need you to trust me that much. <laughs> I need you to recognize okay, all right, all right, if you are having chest pain, you can't walk up the stairs or you're you short of breath and to the point where you can't go to the bathroom. Like those are not things. I, first of all, I want to present you, prevent you from getting to that point in the first place. But those are things I am not treating in the office. But that goes back to, if you know your primary care doctor, you would call them and letting them know that this is what's happening. And they know your risk factors. As far as the chest pain example, if you're 22 years old and you just ran a marathon for the first time and you have chest pain, I know you have no past medical history or any medical problems. Then I'm like, you, you can come to the office tomorrow. Versus the 60-year-old that has high blood pressure and the diabetes and, you know, has peripheral artery disease, then they say they have chest pain. I can kind of risk stratify and say, no, you need to go to the ER and be evaluated. Okay. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So another good thing also to ask your patient, your, ask your potential physician is what type of procedures that they offer at their clinic. So for your clinic specifically, are there some kind of routine procedures that you do on a regular basis that people can come to see you for? 
Absolutely. We do. We do some of everything, first of all, at all ages. And so um, simple suturing, if you, you know, cut or lacerate your, you know, any part of your body, we can remove uh, benign growth. Um, we can uh, take out molds and things that you have, skin tags on your skin. We can do knee injections or in multiple joint injections. Um, as far as GYN procedures, we can take out birth control. We can place birth control. We can do something called colposcopies, um, which are just if you have an abnormal pap smear, uh, which is a test to see the make sure the cells of your cervix are normal. Um, if that comes back abnormal, you need the procedure called a colposcopy, which just takes a closer look at the cervix. We can do those procedures. We can do endometrial biopsies, um, which is a biopsy of the lining of your uterus. I mean, the list is, goes on and on and on. And that's an important conversation to have any primary care doctor that you have um, to see what can they do. We can do circumcisions, just all types of procedures at many different age groups. And, you know, not for kids, every, right? Yes. We also do vasectomies. <laughs> Speaking of, but we do stuff with, you know, little for kids. Adults. <laughs> right. So we, but we do a plethora of things within our office um, with, you know, multiple, with our multiple different colleagues within the office. So every primary, every primary care office is not in, like that. So that's why it's important to have that conversation. Well, what can you actually do within the office? And so that gives you a good idea of if these things come up that you can just ask your primary care doctor and not look for a referral or anything along those lines, it can be done within the office. Right. So on the opposite aspect of that is my clinic, where some of the things that Dr. Allen can do at hers, we're both primary care physician. I don't have some of those things. So, right. for example, the example that she had about being able to do the colposcopy, I don't have the tools at my clinic to do that. Right. So I would have to refer you out. She also mentioned suturing. I would have to go at my office to go downstairs to the urgent care to get supplies to do that type of procedure. So it might be more time consuming if you come to see me because I may not have those things available to do those things. But some of those um, different specialties that I may have to send you to the way my building is laid out that I can send you there to get those type of things done. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I say, that is why it's so important when you initially meet your physician to have that conversation and know where they will direct you to in those scenarios where they can't do something. What does that referral process look like? And for you, you a lot of these specialties are in your building. Like you say, there's urgent care downstairs. You can you can go refer them to different people within the same building. For us, we're a standalone clinic. So if we have to refer you um, you have to go to a, usually a different facility at a different location and even some imaging because we can do x-rays at our clinic. But as far as like mammograms, CAT scans, things like that, I would have to send you someplace else. So that's a great question to ask your primary care doctor. Where, where do I how what does that process look like if you need to send me somewhere and for imaging or anything along those lines? How do that? How does you go about doing that in the office? So what have you seen kind of from your side at your clinic, the typical time frame that it usually occurs for someone when they are referred somewhere? Because at my clinic, the way it's kind of laid out, someone can walk down the hallway and they can just go see the cardiologist and they can schedule their appointment that day. 
So how does it work Absolutely. with your clinic? So interestingly enough, and this goes back to um, how medicine is focused in our society, it's one, our clinic is actually in a healthcare desert. So our clinic is a standalone clinic um, that is one of the few clinics in the area that take Medicare and Medicaid and some forms of Obamacare. And so it makes it difficult sometimes when we have to refer them out to see different specialists because our, our clinic is in uh, south of Atlanta in Morrow, Georgia. But, you know, if you're not familiar with Atlanta, some of our patients to see a specialist that actually takes their insurance, they unfortunately may have to go north of Atlanta to Marietta or Smyrna area, which can be 45 minutes to an hour and away. And if you've ever been in Atlanta traffic, it could be an hour, hour and a half away, just depending on, you know, what time you go. So, Unfortunately, where we're located, there are not a lot of specialists available um, who take those insurances. And so it's very insurance dependent on how the referral system works. So for some insurance uh, systems, it's an open referral. So you can go to any provider that takes your insurance within that area. Um, For some other insurances, you have to get a referral from your primary care doctor before you can go see the specialist. And so, which makes it a little bit more time consuming because you a lot of times have to see the primary care doctor first. That's additional appointment in um, additional appointment to the specialist appointment. Now you have two office visits instead of one um, in order to get to a specialist. So in our clinic, it is it's a much more difficult to do that referral process. What I tell patients, though, it can be much easier if you call your insurance company and understand how that process works in advance. Because I was a primary care doctor. I don't know every single insurance on the market. So if you have one, it's best for you to call your insurance company and see, you know, I need a referral to orthopedic. I broke my leg. I need a referral to orthopedic surgery. How do I go about doing that? And are there any orthopedic surgeons in our our area? So for me, if you need a referral, you know you need a referral, you can come to the office with the name of the doctor now because you talk on your insurance company and say, this is the doctor in my area. They're my insurance. Can you put that in the referral? And I can print out the referral for you and you can take it over there and have your appointment. So it just it just depends on your insurance situation and where your clinic, your primary care office is located. Yeah, y'all might have to do some of the legwork for us. We don't know all the different types of insurance, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, HMO, PPO, UGK, OPP. I I, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know all of these insurance. (laughs) Yes, it's a boatload of them. So how do you handle when people come to see you? Like like I mentioned, it's an established care visit. I want to have my labs done. Which ones you want to have done? All of them. I want you to check everything. So how do those kind of uh, situations usually go for you? Oh, they are very stressful. <laughs> that is usually a very long visit. Um, and I think that goes back to, one, it helps you build rapport with your primary care doctor. I take it as an opportunity to do that. Because a lot of people, you know, they listen to their cousin, sister, brother, who you got to you got to check this. Make sure your doctor checks this because my best friend around the corner found out they had like okay, pause. <laughs> Class, pause. Health is specific to you and your family history and your risk factors. So if somebody says, you know, Pookie from around the corner had 
a brain aneurysm. <laughs> I need you to do a scan of my brain. Pookie is not related to you. <laughs> we need to have a conversation about what are your risk factors. Is that something that's really needed? So usually when my patient, when I have a patient come in and say, I want everything tested, you know, I need you to do all my labs, just do everything. No, because you, you are nece- you're not necessarily informed in what you need. So what I will do is then break down, well, one, I'll probably have to come back for a physical <laughs> at that point, <laughs> but I will break down, you know, with your age, these are the things we need to do. You know, you also have high blood pressure. I need to check these things. You're on these medications. These are the things that need to be checked. So we do labs. I'm doing these labs. I'm doing this for these reasons. And if they come with a list of labs, I'll go through each lab and say, you don't need this because of this, or you do need this. And we will work on all those things. So I really want my patients to leave with the understanding of why we're doing what we're doing because you don't know how many times I have patients come in they're like you need to check me for diabetes doc or something random and it's like well I'm, you just gave me the list of your old labs and they checked you for diabetes but they had no idea that lab was related to that so making sure they have an understanding and that's the only way we can do shared decision making if you don't understand what's happening and you kind of do that just do everything doc I, I know we need to have a conversation and we need to really get you to have a good medical understanding of what's happening because you don't know what is happening or what the physician is doing. And like I said, I want you to trust me, but I want you to be able to walk out of my office understanding everything that I've done for you and what has happened, what we have learned about your health. Because if you don't, you are still, you're going to the next doctor with, my doctor never checked me for diabetes. They never look, they never checked me for cholesterol. You know, I haven't had, you've had all these things done. So I think having those conversations helps. But that's a long, that's a long, <laughs> that's a long visit to kind of get that understanding. But if you find the right PCP, they'll take that time because they want you to have that understanding. Yeah. We want you to know what's going on about you and your health. One thing that's kind of been crazy for me lately is a lot of patients coming in and didn't know they were diabetics um, or didn't know their cholesterol was high because no one has ever sat down and gone over with them. And so me as a physician, it's, it's hard. Like we having this conversation about establishing care the first time seeing someone and being like, nobody's told you that you're a diabetic, right? Mm -hmm. No. And then, then showing them on the computer, well, these are the labs that I'm looking at. You've been a diabetic for four years. Like, no, nobody's told me that. And then it leads to awkward conversations and Mm -hmm. starting you potentially on medications and and going down that um, specific route. Absolutely. And that goes back to understanding what your physician is doing. And so even with that example, a lot of times, a lot of times the physician may have said it, but the patient didn't understand. And so I always encourage my patients to ask questions. If I'm talking and you don't understand what I'm saying, stop me and ask a question. And I also ask a ton of questions. Do you you understand what I'm saying? What did I just say to you? Because if you don't understand, I'm we're still I'm still just because you show up in my office to get things done. I'm still doing you a disservice. And so, one, when you have a new primary care doctor, making sure that the way they talk to you is a way that you understand. And that doesn't mean they're a bad physician just because they talk to you and you don't understand it. You, that just, that's just not a good relationship for you. 
have a physician that can speak to you in a way that makes you understand what they're saying. Because if you don't have a good understanding, you've been diabetic for four years and didn't know it, or the doctor told you you had diabetes, but you thought if I did these things, it went away because they never mentioned it again. Well, no, that's not how diabetes, you know, that's not how diabetes <laughs> in particular works. So when you do get diagnosed with something new or something happens, making sure that doctor's willing to go over what was abnormal in your labs, what does that mean? And, you know, well, if I, for example, like say, for example, diabetes, well, does that go away? Am I going to have it for the rest of my life? Like being comfortable enough with your physician to ask that question, being comfortable enough with your physician to say, I, I don't understand what you just said. Can, can you explain it to me differently? You have to be, because I don't know how many patients I get in my office. Like I say, thankfully, they trust me as their primary care physician, but they went to a specialist. They went to another doctor and like, okay, Dr. Allen, can you explain this to me? I'm like, you just paid your $35 copay. <laughs> you sent this person's office for an hour, waited God knows how long, and now you're back in my office asking me to explain it to you. And thankfully, I love my patients. I will explain it, but I always tell them, you know, if you have a question, if you are with a physician and you don't feel comfortable to stop and say, I don't understand what you just said, then that is not the position for you. Because like you said, that's how we get patients who, oh, I had diabetes for four years, I had no idea. Because you didn't feel comfortable stopping that position or saying, I don't understand what you're saying. And so that is a part of kind of deciphering who is the not only the best primary care doctor for you, but the best physician for you in any scenario, period. Mm-hmm. If you feel like they're going over your head with a whole bunch of medical terms, ask them to break it down a little more simpler. Put it in layman's terms so absolutely. you can better understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I've had that if- that same situation happen to me, kind of what you described. Like, didn't you just see the specialist yesterday? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and even if you tell the specialist, like, break it down in layman's terms, mm-hmm. and their layman's terms may not be your layman's terms. <laughs> to mm-hmm. to put it nicely, so. Go to the position that can speak to you the way you need to be spoken to. And, you know, some of my patients need it more direct. (laughs) Some of my patients, you know, I I can give them the, you know, the tender approach and they get it, you know. But if some references I know for for a certain section of my patients that other physicians may not know. And that may be what you need to understand what I'm saying. So, so. Uh, looking into that, make sure you all can speak the same language, essentially. I totally agree. You need somebody who knows the same lingo as you. Um, I, yep. I know one of the doctors that we both train with, she said one of her patients told her one time that she fell out doing something. And she's, she asked her, like, yep. fell out of what? So I was like, see, you, mm-hmm. don't, you don't understand the language. Like, you need yeah, somebody <laughs> who, who you breaks down the language. And, <laughs> so exactly. we're on the, mm-hmm. no, so we're kind of on the discussion mm-hmm. we're on the discussion of, of of labs so one thing that i wanted you to kind of talk about how are labs done at your clinic and do you always right. tell your patients to fast before coming to see you if they may potentially have mm-hmm. labs done mm-hmm. um sometimes uh it just depends on their situation um, if it's somebody who's like diabetic or pregnant or things like that, I may not ask them to fast. 
and usually it's not a long fast um, because I find that you still can get uh, accurate enough results like not fasting. So I don't typically make people fast. Um, usually uh, if it's early in the morning, I will tell you, you know, don't have that, you know, McDonald's hotcakes with the sausage and eggs, <laughs> like have something reasonable in the morning. Um, but you don't have to completely fast because unfortunately I've run into situations where patients have had some trouble um, based upon that. So that's not something I regularly ask. Um, but as far as how labs go in my clinic, we're fortunate enough to have uh, what we call a phlebotomist or somebody to draw labs within our clinic. So our patients don't have to leave the facility to get their labs drawn. Now, some clinics you will have to leave the facility and go to a different area or a different location in general to have your labs drawn. So we're fortunate in that aspect to be able to draw labs within our clinic. Yeah, that's that's a very good um, deal to have with somebody in the same clinic as you. In my clinic, we we have them in another part of the building, but they're in the building. So that's a very important yep. aspect that you should ask your potential physician of. If I have to do labs, can I get them done here or do I have to go somewhere else? Because as Dr. Yep. Allen mentioned, time is of the essence in, in these aspects. Um, how do and I you- think with labs, too? Well, I think with labs, too, also understanding how long it takes for the labs to come back. So when you ha- get labs on that physician's office, some labs that are quicker than other labs. And so, you know, they can take a while to come back. So having that under- and not being nervous. So, for instance, you just had your primary, your um, annual physical, and they drew a metabolic panel. Well, that may be back tomorrow. But the HIV test may take a week. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you ask that question in advance. I want you home panicking because you just did something <laughs> a couple of days ago. Now you worry. Like, no, understand <laughs> this is going to take a little longer to come back. So ha- asking that question of, you know, okay, you're doing all these labs. When will I get my results, essentially? And so having that conversation with your doctor so they can explain to you so you're not at home sweating because this lab didn't come back yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I always tell my uh, listeners that we do a little peek behind the curtain. So that's one of the peek behind the curtains. The labs sometimes they come in waves. So yep. it may be you've gotten a whole bunch of labs done and I might get part of your labs back on, let's just say you had your labs done on Monday. I might get part of the labs back on Tuesday, part of the labs back on Thursday. And then I may not send you a message until Friday when I've gotten all your labs back at the same time period, because logistically wise, which we're about to get into how I respond back to those labs. I may wait till I get everything to send you one general message rather than two separate messages. It just makes it easier overall. If there's something concerning, I will let you know earlier, but I I, I don't know how you do it on on your end, Dr. Allen. You can kind of express that. Um, How how do you respond back to your patients about um, their lab work? Absolutely. I'm the same way because I'll wait to get everything in the end because what I find is my patients will tend to freak out because I told them about one thing, but didn't tell them about the rest. Or they're like, okay, I got this back, but what about all these other things? Is something wrong? So when I first meet a patient, I'm going to tell them, like, I'll wait till I get all the labs back. Now, unless it's something 
that can take, like, for instance, if you do a well woman exam or an annual physical, and I do a bunch of labs, but I also do something called a pap smear, which we talked about, I was looking at the cells of the cervix, that can take a week, week and a half sometimes to come back. So if I have all the rest of your labs, I may send you that. And I'll tell you in the message that I'm still waiting for your pap smear results. Like, and I've told you if I've done your exam that the pap smear can take a week, a week and a half, but the other things should be back within the next day. So if it's that type of situation, I may send two messages. Um, but typically for labs, I try to send one message because I feel like sometimes it can get confusing if I send you multiple messages um, saying that, you know, oh, this is normal. These labs are normal. And then you get another message saying, oh, well, this is abnormal. We need to do further screening. Mm-hmm. Like it's just mixed messages. So I like to send one and to keep it concise for the patient. And also, speaking on labs, if I've sent you a message that says, oh, these labs are normal, that they may be minor abnormalities, but not really clinically significant, a lot of my patients get very stressed because that one lab is red. <laughs> and it's like, I promise you, Scout's Honor, I've looked at all the labs. That one is, is yes, it is red, but it does not overall mean that the lab is abnormal. And so making sure your, you know, your patients understand, and as a patient, you understand that one, one red dot does not mean you are you know, on death's door. I promise. <laughs> I've looked at it. You know, it is, it is, you know still within normal limits. So make sure you have that trust with your doctor. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with asking a question that because you see it, but oftentimes I will get patients to, you know, message me back and say, but doc, you know, my BUN, which is, you know, a kidney lab, it's abnormal by one point. And you're like, everything else is normal. Like I'm not worried about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So having those conversations, there's nothing wrong with asking questions, but we promise you, if we said it's normal and you trust us, you know, it is it is 9.9999 times out of 10 normal. So speaking of asking questions, how do patients ask you questions outside of the office? Do you have like a patient portal um, that they send you messages through or do they just call the office and you have to call them back? How do the logistics works with that? So a multitude of ways. Um, I have a very diverse uh, patient population, um, especially in age. So my older patients, um, they tend to want to call. They want to talk to you. You know, they want to have a whole conversation, which is fine. Um, Have a conversation regarding what's happened, you know, what is going on. And, you know, they are much they want to call and make their appointments, things of that nature, which is fine. For most of my younger demographic, they use our patient portal. So we use my chart, uh, thankfully. So I can send their labs through my chart. Um, I can, they can send me messages, make their appointments, all those things they tend to want to do through my chart, which is great because I can now, I can send you a message at any time. You can send me a message at any time and we can communicate in that way. Um, so, Unfortunately, my patients who haven't really started using the patient portal, it makes it's much more difficult for them because just the volume of calls that we get into our clinic, a lot of times they're filtered. So if you know to call my particular MA, then they'll kind of come a little bit more direct to me. 
But sometimes patients just call in general. And then that's the process of looking up that patient, seeing who their position is, seeing that this message needs to come to me. So in primary care offices, sometimes it can take 24 to 48 hours for you, that message to get to the physician. So that makes it a little bit longer of a turnaround time. So for instance, if you feel like it's something that's a little bit more urgent, like, okay, you ran out of your blood pressure medicine, then if you call in, it may take a little bit of time for it to get to the physician. And that can also be true with some of the patient portal messages, depending on the reason you, uh, you the reason you list for the message. So if the message is like medication refills, well, that may go to the nurse in the office and not come directly to your physician. So don't assume all the messages come. As soon as I send it off, it's coming straight to Dr. Allen. No, they funnel some of those messages to see what's appropriate to get to the physician versus can the nurse handle this? Can the MA take care of this? You know, that it's a process before it gets to us. So oftentimes I'll tell my patient, you know, if it's truly an emergency, um, then your best bet is the patient portal. But if it's something like, oh, I'm having chest pain and I can't walk up the stairs, then sending it hoping for a call back the same day, a lot of times is unlikely depending on the size of the practice. So you are better off going to, like if you think you are dying, going to ER versus waiting 48, 72 hours for me to get back to you. Right. That's some good information right there, specifically about the number of people that sometimes the messages have to go through to get to us because sometimes some of our staff can handle certain things right. and we're busy throughout the day seeing patients um, so they they will try to do certain things for us but sometimes we as a physician we have to do these things about responding back to messages so give us a, like like a two-day period sometimes to respond back um, just mm -hmm. to but give us kind of that courtesy to let us know and let you know kind of what's going on. Absolutely. And like I say, every physician is different because in some physician practices, they, they won't call you back. They'll send, they'll tell your, you know, they'll tell the front desk, we'll call this patient and set up an appointment or, or they may say, you know, I'll send a letter out or so talking to your physician when you meet them. Okay. Well, if my labs come back abnormal, are you still going to send a patient message or are you planning to call me? Or, you know, what is that process? Because for every physician, it's different. I know for me, depending on what the abnormality is, for instance, if your blood sugar comes back a little bit higher, then I'll say, I can send you a message saying we need to do some further testing. But if you are HIV positive then <laughs> on labs, missing new diagnoses, then I may be more inclined to say, um, call the scheduling department and say, oh, let's have this patient come in and make an appointment. And that's not like that for every physician. So I don't want y'all at home <laughs> scared like, oh, my patient, my doctor said I got to come in. I'm dying. No, 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 no. It's just having that conversation with your physician to see how they handle, you know, abnormal messages or, I mean, I'm sorry, abnormal lab results or things of that nature. So you have an understanding of, I may not talk directly to the physician. My next call may be with the scheduling department calling me saying the physician wants to see me. So, you know, understanding that when you go in, so it's not surprising to you and you are not concerned when it happens. So one of the key things that I always tell my patients on a regular basis is that my job is to keep you alive and healthy and I need you to do your part. So, what ways do you tell your patients that they need to stay healthy? Absolutely. Or what do they need to so do is, to stay healthy? Absolutely. 
So one, it can be very patient dependent. Um, overall, I tell people, first things first, I truly believe that if your mental health is not appropriate, your physical health will follow behind. And so I always tell people, they'll try to do the right things as far as they help, but they're absolutely stressed out or, abs- or you know, have depression, have anxiety, have those things. And they'll say, well, I can't deal with that right now, but I'll work on this. Well, no, you have to work on your mental health in order to be a healthy person overall. Because, you know, if, you're, if your brain is not fine, the rest of you will not be fine. And so first and foremost, I tell people finding ways to relax, finding ways to de-stress and be mindful will help you with the rest of your health care. OK, and, and they are not separate. So having my patients understand that first and foremost. Secondly, what you put in your body, the food that you eat, the supplements that you take, what you drink, <laughs> all those things, mm-hmm. what you smoke, mm-hmm. All those things affect your overall health. What you put in your body could either be medicine or poison. And so having that understanding that, you know, you can't put all these things in your body, but you run marathons and think, well, that'll be enough to counteract the fact that I, you know, snort cocaine. (laughs) Nope, that's not how that works. You know, you have to... And you know, I've, I've had I've, I've been doing this a while, so I've had some some crazy stories, uh, but that's not essentially how that works. So knowing that, you know, you can't put trash into your body, and expect that you can offset that in other ways. So trying to be as healthy as possible, drinking water, eating fruits and vegetables, you know, eating as healthy as possible within your means. And we can have that conversation and talk about it. And when I say it's a very patient dependent, it depends on you know, where my patients live, what are their circumstances, how they work. You know, if you work at the night shift and you sleep all day, then, you know, maybe you can't go to the gym. Maybe you, you know, have, we have to, I want you to walk up the stairs more at your job. Like you sit down all day or every hour I want you to take a break and walk up at the flight of stairs. You know, talk, having those conversations to say in your lifestyle, how can you be more healthy? And so, so like I say, mental health, what you put in your body, um, and then understanding what your risk factors are, because my risk factors are maybe different from your risk factors. And so if you have a family history of diabetes, you have a family history of high blood pressure, it will be more specific to those risk factors than just, I'm not going to just throw out general blanket terms um, on how to improve your health. You know, if your, your mom had breast cancer at 35. Or 45, you know, things like that. These are the things that can improve your health and what are truly risk factors for you. So maybe your dad had, you know, um, lung disease, but he smoked a pack a day for 50 years, but you don't smoke. You know, that risk factor does not necessarily apply to you in the way that it applied to your father, even though that's your father. And so all those things. So that's what I, that's what I mean by it is patient dependent. But those are the things that you can do to be healthy. And another thing that I tell my patients, especially to look out for, is some like vitamins and supplements. Because I have patients who a lot of times will say, oh, I don't take medicine. Mm-hmm. But you got a list of 14, I'm taking folic acid and biotin, you know, vitamin E, vitamin D, zinc. And it's like, okay, (laughs) that in fact is medicine, (laughs) okay? It's not FDA regulated medicine, but it is medicine. 
you know, I won't take pills, but I'm doing all these things. So helping them to understand that, you know, some of these things are not needed for you, um, especially depending on your diet and, you know, the things that you eat. Maybe you can get this in one pill instead of 15. So really going through all the things that you take that are not prescribed by a doctor, because um, sometimes people think that that doesn't matter. I'm just getting those other counter. All those things matter. And surprisingly, some of those things will counteract other drugs that we give you. And then going over the drugs that we give you. Because sometimes you have patients come in and they're already on 10 medications. So going through why they're on these medications, you know, which, you know, you're on four blood pressure pills. Well, which ones was first? And, you know, did they work? Did they not work? Did you feel like you need an adjustment? So really understanding the medications you're already on, why you're on those medications, because having that understanding, it may not be right in that visit, but down the line, if you're having like dizziness or some random symptom, we can't figure out why. Well, maybe this medicine interacted with this medication or that's the side effect of this medicine that, you know, we have to be mindful of. So those are probably some of the key things that I talk about as far as staying healthy. And um, the only other thing I probably add is like screenings. So your risk factors for certain screening tests. So for instance, that patient who smoked a pack a day for 50 years, I need to make sure you get lung cancer screening and you get AAA screening. You know, make sure you don't have an abdominal you know, aneurysm, things like that. You know, making sure you get the appropriate screenings for where you are in life and what your risk factors are. All of those things I try to make sure my patients understand uh, are important for me to keep you healthy. Man, I couldn't have summarized it even better. You did a great job, especially with those vitamins and supplements, because I, I did an episode on that already, um, giving out that information. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned Y'all in that, at that episode. episode. Yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned in that episode, some of the stuff that you may may be trying to get with these vitamins and supplements, you can just incorporate into your diet, eating certain foods that are that are rich in those things and your body will better absorb those things. Absolutely. I have so many patients come in and it's like, okay, for for instance, you know, had a patient in his 30s come in with liver failure. Like what is how no risk factors. And then upon further questioning, it's like taking this stuff over the counter at GMC, GNC like it's candy. And it's like, do you, you know, that could that that's what's causing your liver failure, you know? So, they don't, you know, a lot of patients don't think these over-the-counter medicines have effects, you know, and a lot of them are not, you know, FDA or Food and Drug Administration regulated. So, you know, it's, they're not benign. They all affect your body in some way. And sometimes not the best way. And sometimes it's not even the main ingredient. It's some of the byproducts in the drug that are causing you issues. So just be very mindful about some of the supplements that they take. And it's costly. It's expensive, you know. So making sure, talking to your primary care physician as much as possible, do I really need these things versus not needing those things? Because nine times out of 10, you don't need half of what you're taking. So not only am I going to save you money, I'm probably going to save your health in the long run because you're you're no longer taking those things. So as we wrap up, are there any lasting words of wisdom that you want to leave for my healthy listeners about establishing care, how to find a good doctor, things they should expect at visits? What kind of information would you want to leave them with? I think the the most important thing is 
find someone that you trust. And a lot of times trust takes time, but just like with any relationship, you know, you know if there's chemistry from the beginning. And if that does not work for you, if that person does, is, is not your cup of tea, please find another primary care doctor. Do not, because you had one bad experience or two, three, four, five bad experiences, <laughs> please don't rule out primary care doctors. There are primary doctor care doctors out there who will care for you and care for your health. And I know it is tiring, but do everything you can to find one because essentially it is your health and you are, you are the best advocate for your health, you know, over anybody. So find that primary care doctor that is willing to partner with you to make sure that you have that experience and somebody that you really trust because, you know, they are some of the best people to help keep you, you know, keep you healthy and give you a patient centered home for your health care. So I think if I leave any, if you don't hear anything else I say, it is okay to find another primary care doctor. It is okay to make sure you have a doctor that you bond with because that trust is one of the most important things in a primary care doctor patient relationship. Mm -hmm. You got to find somebody to kind of be the captain of, of your overall health, which is your mm -hmm. primary care um, physician. So as I always conclude, I always like to conclude with Randy's random questions. Are you ready, Dr. Allen? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So question number one, why was it so important for you to go to an HBCU? Oh, you know, I had to harness all this black girl magic in one place. <laughs> uh, so definitely, um, I felt like that. And I think for where I grew up, the lot of the representation that I saw of African-Americans was not in the best light. So I grew up in inner city Detroit. So as you can imagine, uh, you know, in most inner cities, it's, it's not the best representation, full representation of African-Americans. So that and, you know, I want to get away from home. I was a very feisty <laughs> young child. So, you know, that was important for me to go someplace where I could see a plethora of, you know, of African-Americans uh, and get that experience. All right. So how great was it for you to go to Spelman specifically? Oh, uh, spell! I tell people all the time, Spelman was the best decision I ever made. Like, it just changed the whole trajectory of my life. And it's funny enough, I'll never forget, when I was in high school, I wanted to go to Howard. Howard's a lovely school, you know, shout out to all the Bisons. But I last minute changed my mind. I didn't even apply to Howard to go to college. Interestingly enough, I did a whole report on Howard. Like I was all, you know, HU, you know, no shade to Hampton. And so uh, last minute, I got a, a pamphlet for Spellman. And I was like, oh, that's where I want to go. And I applied early acceptance. And, you know, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. And, you know, what they always say at Spellman, like, you have greatness within you already. They just hold up a mirror for you to see how great you already are. And no true words have been spoken. Ooh, man, that's a word right there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Just caught the Holy Spirit. Maybe oh, I start speaking in tongues. And so, last question. So, you got a little, uh, little one baking in the oven. If you had to leave one message for the little one in the oven and the other one that's already here, what message would you leave for them? That they have greatness within them. That I'm just trying to guide you to that point, and you, I want you to find happiness in whatever that you decide to do. And know that I will love you. 
forever, no matter what happens. And just for whoever you are, whoever you decide to be, whoever you become, I will love you. Ah, that's so sweet. And they dad yeah. loves them too. That daddy does love them too. <laughs> you said my message, not his message. <laughs> Oh, I know. We have to throw him in there because he's going to be like, Absolutely. y'all give me no shut up. So we got to give Roselle a shout out. Tell the babies but, uh, I love them too. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for being on the podcast, Dr. Allen, and sharing some great information. We hope to have you on in the future to share more great health info. Of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> all your physicians some of the questions we discuss? I hope you do. And if you don't, I hope this sheds some light on questions you need to ask them. Thank you, Dr. Allen, for being on and being a great friend. Thanks for letting me steal your husband every now and then to go watch Marvel movies. Ant-Man Quantumanium is coming up and I may need to steal him again. Thank you, healthy listeners, for listening. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and share this with others if you enjoyed it. Also, check out my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for On Call with Dr. Randy. I'll see you all back next week. And as always, stay healthy physically and mentally.